Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Um, but as many of you know, we've been going through uh, the Psalms during the summer, right? And that was a little bit before, as, as COVID happened, that was kind of what we were doing. Uh, and really, I think most of you, like if you've been watching this before, and if you've been following along with us, then you kind of know this. We we hit COVID, right? And uh, we thought, well, hey, this is probably a good moment to go back to the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are the songbook of Israel. In it, we see the people of God wrestling with what does it mean to be faithful? I mean, they've faced uncertainty and fear and death and the unknown and loss and all these different things. And in the Psalms, we find all of those familiar things reflected there. Right? And in the Psalms, we glimpse the heart of godly people as they struggle with, what does it mean to be faithful in this time? What does it mean to be faithful to God in the middle of this crazy world in which we live? And then in the Psalms, we're also invited into their wrestlings, right? We're invited into, to walk alongside of them as they kind of struggle through this and they wrestle through this. Um, and I guess we, yeah, so Psalm 73, that's what we're talking on this morning. And uh, the guys just read through it. So thanks guys for doing that. Uh, now, I don't know what you think of when you think of scripture. I think uh, all of us come with different baggage from different places, right? And uh, so with me, when I think, okay, scripture or the Bible, the first images that kind of come to mind is, I think of my grandma's house. And I don't know if you guys have grandmas like this, but my grandma had a calendar on her wall that would have a Bible verse. It was something encouraging, right? Or spoke of God's mercy or his forgiveness or his, his love and his care, for his children, the fact that none will pluck him out of his hand, something like that. And so it'd be a nice picture in a Bible verse. And that's like, that's kind of like when I thought scripture, that's what I grew up thinking of. And that's still one of like the first memories that, that comes to me when I think about it. And, uh, you know, and then we'd go to her house and she'd like hand out these calendars and we'd always get like a chocolate bar and a calendar. And uh, yeah, it was great. And so that's one of my memories, but maybe you have, have grandmothers, maybe it's always grandmothers, but, uh, or parents that have like verses stitched on pillows Right, and maybe it's something along the lines of, uh, "I know the plans that I have for you," right? Plans to prosper you, and it's maybe a verse like that. Um, uh, so I have a quilt from my from my other grandmother on the other side. I have a quilt that's covered in her favorite Bible verses and in her in like her favorite pastoral sayings. So here, I'll just give you some of them. Right, uh, the best vitamin, in case you're wondering, the best vitamin for a, for a Christian is B1. Uh, did you know that you should be an organ donor and give your heart to Jesus? And this one is seasonally appropriate, okay? Autumn leaves, Jesus doesn't. And I, <laughs> I love my grandmother and I, I love that quilt. It's super great. Um, but what I'm trying to say here is that Scripture deals with, um, deals with, uh, like it, it shares lots of things that are, that are good news, right? I mean, that's what the gospel means, right? And so it shares of God's love and his graciousness and, and it has lots of encouraging words to say to us, but that scripture also deals with some really heavy themes. And I think that that's kind of, you would have picked up on that as we read through the Psalm. And I love that the Bible doesn't shy away from the hard and the difficult and, and that the Bible is willing to go there. And it's willing to speak to us in the dark and the troubled places, as well as to encourage us with nice words. And I think that this willingness to engage with what is dark and what is hard, 
I think that that goes a long way to speaking to me and showing me that scripture really is something reliable, right? It's not something that is just light and fluffy. It's something that's willing to engage with all of human reality and all of human life. And so it speaks into the dark places as well. And uh, so all that's just kind of just to kind of preface the psalm and say, uh, this psalm in particular is a little bit unique. And maybe you, maybe you notice that as we're reading through, right? It's the story of this bitter and this despairing search. It starts out that way. And then it eventually becomes rewarded beyond all expectation. Uh, it has an Ecclesiastes flavor to it. And if you know me and uh, you know what resonates with me, you, you'll know that that's part of why we landed on this today. And so just a note about how we'll structure what I'm doing, uh, just so you know what to expect. Uh, we're going to hit four different uh, chunks of verses, and uh, that, those things will hopefully reflect the main flow of the psalm. And then uh, hopefully through those four different chunks, we'll be able to sink our teeth into these things. We're not going to be able to hit everything in the psalm, right? But we'll hit four different chunks. That'll hopefully let us dig into those pieces, and then it'll also give us a flow of like, okay, well, this is how the psalm all works together. Um, yeah, we're not going to be able to hit everything. That would uh, take a long time. But that's the game plan. So l- without further ado, let's dive into the first chunk. And where we want to start is verses 2 and 3. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Uh, if you prefer, we can just do this. And uh, so here you have the opening, right? You have the setting of the stage. So verses 2 and 3, this is what it says. The psalmist, Asaph is his name, says, But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so something dark has a, has a hold and has a grip on the psalmist's heart, right? The psalmist uh, here identifies this thing that is gripping him and holding him. He says this is envy. And I guess we can start with, well, what is envy, right? Envy implies that what I have is not enough. It's a dissatisfaction with the things that I do have. It's the absence of contentment. Um, What I have is simply not good enough, right? I need and I deserve something else. Uh, Thanks, but no thanks, God, for the gifts that you've given me, for the ways that you've made me, for the for the, the things that you fill my life with, I really want something else. And if I had the power to obtain that, I would, I would choose that and I, I would do that. And actually, I'm going to bend all my resources and energies to obtaining these things that you haven't given me because I want that. And, uh, you know, maybe if you were good, you would have given that to me, right? But it's not just the discontentment with what God has given us. Envy is to want what someone else has. So it's not just dissatisfaction, it's wanting what Jake has. Um, it's to feel that they don't really deserve it, but you know, I do. Uh, yeah, we're not going to do examples there, but <laughs> I deserve that thing that you have. It's somehow unfair that they have this thing and I don't have it. And notice who it is that he's envying, right? He's looking out at the wicked. He's looking out at those who are apart from God, those who don't follow God. And he's saying, I want what they have. He's looking at the lives of people who don't follow God. And he's saying, you know what? Maybe I'm just wasting my life doing this whole God thing. I mean, what they have looks so much better. And, and I guess I just stop and step back. I want to say that I love his honesty here. Um... And I love the fact that you can actually read the Bible and you can find this reflected in scripture. I think there's, there's something real authentic and really, yeah, there's something really cool about that. Um, and I think I really appreciate it because I think I've felt that way, right? My heart has been in this place where I look at the lives of other people who are not following God 
And, and my heart has been a place, I grew up in the church, right? And I look out and there's been times my heart has been in this place of saying, I wish I had what they had. You know, that looks fun. I wish I could do that. Maybe I should consider this. And we're talking about this because, and because I'm sure that you're not completely strange to this feeling as well. I think that envy is something, you know, close to our hearts. Um, and I guess I just want to say that there's something in this line of thinking. There's a lot of things, but there's at least one thing that we should be really careful of. And this will bring us just to our first affirmation. And this is going to be that envy will drain the joy from our lives. Uh, and what I mean when I'm saying that and why I'm focusing on it is one of the effects of envy seems to be that it makes, us, it makes it impossible for us to enjoy what we do have. Right? And slipping into envy is something that destroys our joy. It's the opposite of gratitude. It's the opposite of thankfulness. It's the opposite of contentment. It's kind of this black hole that sucks up all of our attention, all of our focus, and it ultimately consumes us. You know, instead of spending time developing the gifts that God has given us, instead of spending time praying into and leaning into the ways that God has gifted us and enjoying the blessings that he has, we, we're consumed with bitterness. We're consumed with envy. We're consumed with wanting what it is that someone else has because, you know, we, th- we know what we want and what we need better than God does. And envy robs us of contentment. And what it does is it turns us into, instead of someone who's living out of a place of the Spirit, uh, pursuing what it is that God has for us here in Carlton Place, here in the surrounding area, what envy does is it turns us into a bundle of wants and desires that are never satisfied. It causes us to live out of this place of never being happy with what we have, always wanting what someone else has. And uh, yeah, that's, that's heavy. And I guess just into this space, I just want to pray and maybe we can pray this together and we can say, God, would you please make us a people of contentment uh, who are content with what it is that you've given us, how you have gifted us, how you have made us, how you have placed us, where you've placed us and why. Would you make us a people concerned about your kingdom, not consumed with envy for those around us? Yeah, make us a people who are thankful, who are grateful. And uh, from there, let's uh, go move into the second part, right? So we're, this is where Asaph starts. So we're going to move into the second part. We're going to follow his flow of thoughts, and we're going to end in uh, verses 13 to 14 here for the second section. We're not ending, ending. Don't worry. You're not getting off that easy. But Asaph, he's confessed this envy for the wicked, right? And I'm going to cheat and switch for you here. Um, he's confessed this envy for the wicked. And then in the verses... Uh, Uh, Before these, he starts to, so now he starts to elaborate on, this is all the ways that the wicked have it better than him. So this is what he says, right? He says, their bodies are fat and sleek. I wish I had a body that was both fat and sleek. Uh, They don't have troubles like I do. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. And he's fixated on their stuff. And he's fixated on the goodness that they seem to experience that he doesn't. Right? I mean, they have trailers and cars. Like, not just one. They have, like, have you seen that? That that thing's beautiful. Right? They go on holidays all the time. People know their names. And people read their books. People gather in large crowds. I mean, not anymore. Now they just watch them online. But they used to gather, pre-COVID, in large crowds to hear them speak and to hear them share their ideas. I mean, they have fame. They have fortune. Their kids, uh, their kids never do anything wrong. Like, ever. Or, like, talk back. I don't have kids, but my dog doesn't talk. But yeah, people get offended when I compare. Okay, we're just not going to go there. My dog is not my child. Yeah, breaks, breaks. 
Um, but their kids never do anything wrong, right? They are beautiful and healthy without even trying. They have great hair. And all of this leads him to this shocking statement. And this is what he said in 13 and 14. He says, all in vain have I kept my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And he's, he's saying here, what, what do I get out of this? I mean, what good does this do to me when everyone else lives differently, lives without God and life seems to work out for them? I mean, they're healthy and happy and free and rich and life has not brought me wealth or freedom from trouble. Everything, all of this God stuff seems to be in vain. I mean, what am I doing? I mean, why am I pursuing God? I mean, what are, what are we doing here? Why, why are we doing this church thing? I mean, we pray, we offer sacrifices, and the other guy does none of this. And they have it better than I do. And they have it better than we do. And let's just take a step back. Um, and I think one of the things that we see here, we see in this moment that his heart is unmasked. Uh, we start to see that his obedience hasn't been about pleasing God. Uh, but his obedience so far has been about getting God to please him. And I think what starts to come through here uh, in his venting is that he's been thinking of God like a cosmic gumball machine in his mind. Uh, quick aside, gumball machine, you put a quarter in, you turn it, it gives you a gumball. There's an exchange happening, right? Quarter for gumball, that's how it works. I put in worship and you give me a good life, God. That's the deal. And I don't understand. I give you worship and you're not holding up your end of the bargain. And as he says this, I think the shock of this admission begins to clear his mind. Something begins to happen. This is kind of the lowest point that he hits. Something about working through this, inventing this, and then dragging this into the open now lets him start dealing with it. And here's where we'll hit our second affirmation. And, and this is, I mean, if you've been in church, you've heard this before, but um, if, if you haven't spent a lot of time in church, maybe this, is, maybe this is new to you. This is that God wants our hearts. True worship is worship directed towards God for who he is and not what we can get from him like a cosmic gumball machine right? God doesn't need anything that we have, right? He's not interested in this contractual gumball machine relationship. Rather, God wants our worship, our true worship. He wants our hearts. He wants relationship with us. He wants our love. He wants to walk and to talk with us, and he wants us to draw near to him. And uh, yeah, Tim Keller comments on this verse, uh, saying that another thing that you can see here is this, um, in every difficult circumstance, every, every difficult circumstance is kind of this invitation. Or every difficult circumstance is also this kind of uh, looking glass, right? Or it asks this question of, now we will see, if God's speaking, if you come to me to get me to serve you, or if you come to me to serve me. Yeah, so I guess uh, just, just in related to this point, I, I think I just want to say that my prayer here would be that, yeah, God, would you, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds to see your beauty, to see your love, to see you for, for who you really are? And, and would our worship for you 
be something that is uh, in light of your beauty and in light of your goodness, that our worship would be directed at you because of who you are and not because of what we can get for you, from you, or what you can do for us. Yeah, would this be a real relationship? Would this be based around love? Okay, and so the psalm started, right? Recap. Psalm started with this acknowledgement that this, he's, he's stuck in this pit, this miry pit of envy. He's sinking in it. His heart is trapped in it, right? So that was the first thing. And then we saw him wrestle with all these different pieces, and then he came to this startling awareness of this gumball machine relationship with God. And so here, what we, in the third part, what we're going to see is uh, we're going to see him start to change. And so this is what he says. In verses uh, 13 to 14, he says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, which I think you could say is almost the same as like feeling lost. He's like, I don't know what to do with this. I haven't made any decisions to, to leave or to do something else, but I don't know what to do with this. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And so he's been stuck, right? Just a reminder, he's been stuck in this quicksand of envy and resentment. He's been mired in doubt and uncertainty and jealousy and envy and a heart that's far from God. And then something happens. He enters the sanctuary of God and something changes, right? And we can see what the change is. His sight clears. His perspective changes. The paradigm shifts. The scales fall from his eyes. And when we look at the effect, he begins to take the long-form view on what is really happening around him and in him. I mean, he sees that the rich without God are on their way to an eternal poverty. The celebrities without God are on their way to being eternally ignored. He sees that in these things, and he's going to say this in verse 20, that he has been captured by a dream. He's been captured by a phantasm. Um, his sight has been blocked by something that is not real. Uh, now, I have some uh, pretty interesting dreams. And uh, one of the most memorable, dr- memorable dreams that I have is, okay, I'm water skiing, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. This is before I knew how to water ski, though. But I'm water skiing, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And I look ahead of me, but the rope just kind of disappears into the water in front of me. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Anyways, and then, and then something starts to come up from the water, and I'm like, oh, that's my dog, my childhood dog, Cleo short for Cleopatra. And uh, I'm like, that's my dog. I'm, I'm water skiing behind my dog. Like, that's amazing. Really cool. Like, you're a great dog. Good dog. And then I, and then I look around and the feeling of eeriness just slowly increases. Started really happy. It got more and more eerie. And I realized that we're in a swamp. And I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's weird. Lots of purple, lots of, lots of purple and pink. And like, yeah, just very swampy. I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then my dog continues to come out of the water. And uh, it's looking very Cthulhu-ish, if you know what that is. Lots of tentacles. And I'm like, I'm realizing that my dog is really more mixed with an octopus. Anyways, so I won't scare you. But the feeling of eeriness just kind of like increased and increased and increased. And so I kind of woke up, panicked, right? And you know, I wasn't in a swamp. And I looked at my dog and my dog was there and didn't have any tentacly appendages and was very dog-like. And I was like, oh, everything's normal. Everything's okay. And I think that that's what the psalmist is trying to convey here, right? This envy, this thing that had seemed so real to him, has now started to melt away, like he was waking up from a dream. And and I think that what has happened here is that something 
has caused his perspective to shift. What he was so focused on before, what he was so obsessed with before, has now disappeared like a dream, like waking up from a dream. What had demanded his attention no longer seems important. And he doesn't tell us the mechanics, right? There's no math equation here that says, okay, well, this is the way that you do this. This is the way that you wake yourself up from a dream. Um, But what he does tell us is that he goes into the sanctuary of God and everything changes. And so maybe there's an emotional component. I'm sure there is. You know, we're whole people. I'm sure there's an intellectual component to that as well. You know, maybe this is the spirit of God removing these blinders and, and now helping him to truly see. And so while we're not given a formula for how this happens, that he's freed from the grip of envy, I think there's a couple of things that we can say that we know for sure, right? He goes into the sanctuary of God and he doesn't just, he doesn't just turn away from God, right? It's not this like, oh, well, here's a problem. I guess I throw it all away. I'm going to go do this thing that I really wanted to do the entire time anyways. Um, He doesn't just turn away, but there's a wrestling and there's a pushing through. And somehow this wrestling and this perseverance is connected with worship, And somewhere in this perseverance and worship, God meets with him. And there is an encounter with the living God. And as God meets with him, he pulls the psalmist out of this pit of envy, this thing that he couldn't free himself from on his own. God drags him out and puts his feet onto solid ground. And then God shatters the false heart that wanted to treat God like a cosmic gumball machine. And in its place, he gives him a new heart, right? One that's filled with worship, one that's filled with adoration for who God is. And it's uh, here that we reach our third affirmation. And that is this. Um, Let us be a people of perseverance and worship, even when we don't understand And uh, just to be clear, I'm not advocating, I'm I'm not saying believe in something without reason, right? And I'm not saying, okay, you should believe something just because I told you or someone told you. And I'm not saying, you know, just because you read this in a book somewhere, you should believe it. That's, That's not what I'm advocating for. But what I am saying is let's be a people who are not quick to give up. When we encounter hard times and when questions start to bubble to the surface, let's lean into God with our questions, with our frustrations, with our heartache. Um, Even when our world is rocked, let's bring these things into the sanctuary of God and let's invite him to meet us there. Uh, Let's be a people of perseverance and worship, a people of commitment, of integrity, of steadfastness, of perseverance and worship. Okay, so let's move to our uh, fourth part. So the first part He uh, confessed this envy that had a grip on his heart, right? That was part number one. He then wrestled through his emotions and came to this startling awareness of the gumball machine relationship with God. That was part two. Uh, Part three, he then enters the sanctuary of God in perseverance and worship and encounters the living God and his whole perspective has changed. And so now we're moving to the end. This is the fourth part. This is is the end of it. Uh, He begins to close his psalm with this triumphant statement that you can read on the screen that I'm hopefully not blocking. Okay, Jake says perfect. Good. Uh, so this is, this is what he says. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire 
besides you. My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And, and in this statement, we see the pain and anguish that he experienced at the very beginning. It seems to have been transformed to the joy of God's presence, right? He says God is his chief desire. God gives strength and provides for all of his needs. And essentially what he's saying here is he's saying, God, if I don't have you, I don't have anything. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will last. Nothing else is worthy of our worship and our lives. And a major part of what he's saying here is that all of the world's wealth and power is a dream. Um, It's something that seems real in the moment, but the day will come when we wake up and all of that will be gone. However, you cannot say the same thing about Jesus uh, when we come to him. When we come to Jesus and we say, we want to follow you, we want to know you, please forgive me, Uh, help me to follow after you. In that moment, we're given eternal life, right? Life that won't fade like a dream. Uh, We will be with God for all eternity is the way that scripture presents it, right? And uh, here, I'm just going to throw a bunch of concepts at you, each of these extremely deep, but here they are in a couple words, right? We're given this deep deep identity as a child of God, something that undergirds every other identity that we have or that we claim or other, any other community that we join, right? Something that is foundational, something that is core, something, yeah, something that we can't lose. And we're given an internal inheritance and all that that entails, right? Joy for an eternity. So if you can imagine eternity, feel free to, yeah, meditate on that. Um, And I guess what I want to say is, What we receive in Jesus is secure, and it won't disappear, uh, no matter what we experience here and now, no matter our circumstances. um, We are secure in Jesus, and we could unpack what security means. But uh, let's go to another place first. And So not only does he express the security that is in God, but he also expresses that there's nothing else on earth that he desires besides God. And I think that there's a really important question here. Um, And this question is, what is it that you truly desire in your heart of hearts? Like on on a basic level, like right at the core, what is it that you really, really want? And this isn't a light or an an easy question, but I think it's super important. What do you you really want from life? Uh, what What do you want from being here? You know, and there's all kinds of answers that could float around. And I think our hearts at different times want different things, right? But is it happiness? Is it a spouse? Is it another dog? I don't know. Um, But I I guess what I want to say to this is like, let's be honest with ourselves as we investigate that, right? And as we look, I think the psalmist has been being honest with himself. And as he's been honest with himself and as he's dragged this thing into the light, it's, it's, it's probably been uncomfortable, but it's, it's brought him to this place where he can say, that there is nothing on earth that he desires besides God. And I, I don't know. So this is a question. Can I say that? Can you say that? Can, can we say that? Can we as OVV say that that is our heart, that that's at, with a center? And, you know, maybe uh, there's a, probably a question of, okay, well, if we can't say that and there's something else there, then, you know, should we want that? And how do we move that way? Yeah. And so as we wrap up, let me um, just briefly, briefly recap, because uh, apparently that's helpful. In the first part, we're introduced to this ugly thing called envy. And we reflected on the fact that envy is a poison that will drain the joy from our lives. 
um, we then walked through his experiences of envy, right? And we came to this startling awareness of his gumball machine relationship with God. And we said that God wants our hearts. Um, he wants our love. He wants our adoration. That he, he wants more than some kind of mechanical relationship where we put something in and he gives us something good. Um, then we saw the psalmist enter the sanctuary of God in perseverance and worship and encounter God and have his whole perspective changed, right? It was in seeing this that we said, well, hey, let's, let's, let's take that. Let's be a people of perseverance and worship, even when we don't understand. And then finally, we kind of see the end of this snapshot of his journey. And, and we see him proclaim that there is nothing on earth that he desires more than God. And just as we finish here, uh, the one thing I, th- I think that I would just leave us with, if I had to like really zoom in on, on one thing here, I guess what I'd want to say is, uh, let's think long and hard uh, on what it is that we want in this life, right? Do we, do we want the trailers? Do we want the cars, the vacations that our neighbors have? Um, is it money? Is it, is it what money can buy? Is it entertainment? Is it, what is it that we want? Do we want to be successful and well-known and write lots of books and receive degrees? I am partial to the degrees, man, but uh, yeah, that's a different topic. Um, maybe we want several things, right? But uh, I guess I'm not really saying like, what do we want, but what do we want at like the core, right? Can we say that we long for the coming of God's kingdom, that we want his righteousness, his justice, his peace in our town. That we, that we want uh, those who walk in darkness to see a great light. Like, is that, is that really what we want? And this isn't about impressing people, right? I, I mean, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to write it in the chat or anything. But it's really like, where, what is it that our heart wants? Um, can we echo the psalmist here? Um, is it true that we long for everything that God has for us? Is it true that we, that we long to walk forward in that? And I mean, if our hearts are in this place where we want this, I mean, I guess as a church community, right? Because we're, we're that even though we're online right now. Um, as a church community, what does, this, what does this mean? What does this mean for how we do church together? What does this mean for, yeah, how we interact and the things that we do? I mean, in some ways, uh, whatever, <laughs> as, uh, you know, that most important vitamin, the B1, uh, as we kind of like orient around that, and as we all want the same thing, really the, the church here, this is, this is us being like, well, how do, we, how do we make this happen? And everything else is a little bit of an experiment, right? I mean, I can preach for longer or shorter. It's kind of like, well, what, what's going to help us achieve that? Um, what's going to help us draw closer to God? What's going to help us walk into everything that God has for us? Uh, so let's, yeah, let's do that. Let's talk. Let's share ideas. Let's, let's talk to each other. Let's um, be patient with each other. So here, let me, let me just reflect on that for a second. Because I've been in church for a long time. And, and I think that part of what I experience sometimes is, is there's sometimes a lack of patience. You know, we're, I'm gifted in a, in a particular way. And I'm like, okay, well, I have this gifting. And I think that it's great that I have this gifting. And I, th- I think it's great too. And, um, you know, but then the church is maybe slanted a different way or they're focusing on something else. And maybe you approach... I'm one of the leaders, or, or you talk to a couple people, and you're like, hey, why don't we do something about this? And then there's frustration that kind of grows because it's like, well, you know, I talked to them about this and nothing happened. And I guess what I'm saying is like, uh, let's, yeah, let's be patient with each other. Please be patient with me. Please, let's be patient together. Uh, I, think, I think the thing to strive for is how can, we, how can we be the church? How can we walk into everything that God has for us? And uh, yeah, you're going to run into stubborn, obstinate people. 
you're going to run into people that are not going to agree or that are just because they have a different gifting are going to see something somewhere else. And I guess I'm saying, yeah, let's be patient. Let's work together. Let's figure this out. Let's all want the same thing. And then let's talk about how to do that. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.